trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I gather you're probably seeking truth. Yes, even painful truth if, uh, if it entails that. And I'm here to help you in your journey. I don't have all the answers. Not even going to pretend like it all makes sense to me, but I'll tell you what I do have is I have an inquiring mind. I want to know. And so I am willing to dig on a daily basis to find those uh, those nuggets of truth, to find those uh, those insights that help us make sense of what's going on around us, but not with just the, the sense of, you know, pointing at the approaching uh, meteor and going, wow, that sucks, <laughs> but rather looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, so this is what's happening. Here's reality. Now, what can we do about it? What can you and I do in our individual spheres of influence? Oh, no, it won't solve all the problems of the world at once. Actually, there's only one being that can do that. But it does give us a sense of purpose, and it can really help bring the fear down to a manageable level. And I think that uh, that's really important today. Maybe it's maybe I'm saying this just because I find myself struggling with, with the thought of being fearful you know, about uh, some of the stuff that I see happening, some of the things that are shaping up. It's not just the economic woes, the, the continuing depreciation of our, of our purchasing power of every dollar that you and I have in savings. It's not the political intrigue or the fact that, you know, the, the president has essentially declared half the country to be not only uh, opposition, but enemies of the state. That's a little bit spooky. And it's not the fact that uh, the World Economic Forum and others out there, non-governmental agencies, are working very hard to implement what they call a Great Reset. And the way that they're doing it, I understand this is going to be hard for some people to believe, and I'm not telling you you have to believe it because I'm telling you this. But yeah, it appears that the individuals who have this influence at the global level, like Klaus Schwab and others, are doing everything they can to to crash economies of different nations, to to uh, destroy the food supply chains, and I guess it's all in the name of control. Now, look, this is this is just human nature at work. It is the nature of most human beings when they have a little bit of power, they're going to want more power. But what we're seeing today is that uh, that lust to dominate, that libido dominandi, uh, has been dialed up to 11 at a global level. And that's the, that's the crazy part. And I get it. I understand that there are people who think, well, this kind of seems hopeless, but it's really not. And I say that from the standpoint of, look, if you are standing for truth, in fact, I'll take it one step further. If you're standing for truth, if you are standing for freedom, even if you are standing by yourself, I echo the words of uh, former Secretary of, uh, I think he was the Secretary of Agriculture, um, Ezra Benson, Ezra Taft Benson, who said, when a, when a man stands for freedom, he stands with God. And even if he stands alone, he stands with God. I believe that's true. That's why, that's why I have the message that I have. It's, it's not about, to, let's get out there and fight everybody, you know, tooth and nail, and we're going to be free. My message is more, let's recognize the incredible gift 
of freedom for what it is, and it is a gift from God. And let's show it the respect that it deserves and and resolve to live the principles and the practices that are associated with it, because it's not just for everybody. It's for people who know how to govern themselves. But most importantly, I think we need to be putting our trust in our creator and less in this or that politician or this or that policy or this or that political party. Again, I understand not everybody's going to agree with this, but just throwing it out there for food for thought. Maybe it'll make sense to some, not so much to others. So let's talk a little bit about woke corporations. These are quickly becoming the norm, but this is a trend that really needs to be reversed. We saw this big on the big stage, you know, in in Boise, Idaho, this last weekend, with they had uh, their their Boise Pride Festival. Okay, the month of June, not enough. Boise had a several day Pride Festival, and of course, this was uh, this brought out the LGBT crowd in in droves, and it was it was quite the successful event, I guess. Lots of uh, corporate sponsors, probably just under a hundred corporate sponsors, who stepped forward and donated, uh, you know, their their money and donated, you know, goods and had their names on the banners and so forth. But uh, there were a few corporate sponsors that, uh, upon learning that, wait a minute, they're planning a, a drag show for kids, not just with kids participating, but you know, kids, come watch, come. Maybe you should be a drag queen too. And believe it or not, a number of these sponsors, roughly a fourth of them, said. We're going to step back and uh, we'd really rather not participate in that. So they withdrew their sponsorships. I believe they all left their money. You can have the money, but we're taking our name off the event. Now, I've tried to understand for years. why, Why is it that being woke is the new norm in the corporate world? Well, I've got a great article here from Alan Mendenhall. This is from American Institute for Economic Research. And this, this story is actually reprinted from inside sources. But Alan Mendenhall says corporate wokeness actually ends up hurting the groups that it purports to help. He says every day corporate America has launched a new initiative that could reasonably be described as woke. Now, at first glance, he says this wokeness doesn't seem so bad. Doesn't America have a history of racism, discrimination and injustice? Don't these persist? Shouldn't we seek to remedy them? Yes, of course. Wokeness, however, especially among corporations, isn't the answer. It's a fundamentally illiberal approach. It undermines centuries-old principles like the rule of law, equality under the law, freedom of speech, and due process of law. And by doing so, it harms the very communities it purports to help. So, take the Bank of America, for example, which has just announced its Community Affordable Loan Solution. Now, this new program offers loans to certain first-time home buyers without requiring a down payment, closing costs on mortgages, a minimum credit score, or even mortgage insurance in areas with high African-American and Hispanic populations. Now, we've seen a version of this before. Do you remember the Community Reinvestment Act's role in approximately causing the global financial crisis of 2008? That experience taught us that relaxed lending standards, which qualified people for homeownership who otherwise would not have qualified, victimized ethnic minority communities and those with lower incomes. Individuals and families weren't helped when they bought homes they couldn't afford and their financial woes aggregated across society contributed to the economic collapse. So did ethnic minorities and the marginalized benefit from a massive economic downturn? Well, the answer is, of course not. 
they suffered more than anyone else. So who stands to gain from the Community Affordable Loan Solution if not the groups it allegedly assists? Well, Bank of America, which will have used minority communities for branding and marketing for its own advantage, in other words, while making them worse off. Consider as well the environmental, social, and governance criteria that financial firms are pushing on corporations at the expense of ordinary, hardworking Americans. These are unethical. Why? Because they mismanage other people's money. Asset managers who invest, for example, the pension money of state government workers will often screen companies based on ESG compliance and divert investments to underperforming but ESG-friendly companies, or funds rather, than to funds that yield the most returns for shareholders or the beneficiaries of the pensions. And while these beneficiaries may not be aware that their money supports political uh, positions which, with which they disagree... So the point here is, according to Alan Mendenhall, this corporate trend toward wokeism must be reversed. Florida's Stop Woke Act is an example of how not to counter wokeism, designed to neutralize woke indoctrination. This legislation burdens speech by banning mandatory workplace training regarding sex or race that could cause anguish or guilt. Now, it's one thing for the government to limit its own expression, say, by removing critical race theory from public grade school curricula or restricting state agency implicit bias instruction. But the Stop Woke Act binds private employers and voluntary membership associations. The illiberalism and censorship codified by the Stop Woke Act mirror the illiberalism and censorship championed by woke ideologues. Now, Alan Mendenhall says one way to counteract corporate wokeism is for state legislators to require state fund managers to act solely in the interest of shareholders. States should refuse to work with asset management companies that prioritize ideological investments in, say, ESG over sound investments that maximize financial returns. Now, of course, there are also moral reasons to oppose wokeism, which institutionalizes racism in the name of anti-racism. But I've got to tap the brakes here because we're coming up on our own break. And so we will revisit this in just a few moments. Again, this is an article from Alan Mendenhall, republished on the American Institute for Economic Research website, AIER.org. You really should subscribe and get their daily emails. Lots of great information coming your way through this organization. And it's credible information. Not something that's uh, easily taken for granted in this time. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I do appreciate the sponsors who make this program possible, including GarageDoorProServices.com. Yep, these are the folks who are serving St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. Servicing, installing, repairing garage doors, both commercially and residentially, and offering American-made garage doors at a much quicker response time than other companies can give you. If you don't believe me, I would encourage you, go to their website. Go to garagedoorproservices.com and take just a few minutes to read some of the customer reviews. Check out what their customers are saying in their own words. I think you'll see that Garage Door Pros has set the standard very high for how they take care of their customers 
And if you have any need, commercial or residential, for garage doors, these are the folks you want to talk to. GarageDoorProServices.com So I'm sharing this article from Alan Mendenhall on how corporate wokeness hurts the groups that it purports to help. And one of the things he points out here is there are moral reasons to oppose wokeism, in spite of the fact of it kind of presenting itself as the most righteous and reasonable approach of all. It's not. Because wokeism teaches minorities that they're agentless victims of white hegemonic oppression rather than creative sources of innovation, entrepreneurship, freedom, and inspiration. So a different and more positive message would empower minorities to achieve their full potential. To understand that race is only a part of their identity and not the sum of their humanity and that hard work and sound business lead to accomplishment, happiness, and flourishing. Alan Mendenhall says the United States is polarized and fractured. And if we treat people as mere avatars of their race, of those surface-level qualities and characteristics they entered the world with and never chose, that's only going to damage and offend. Now, if it's true that corporate America remains complicit in systematically racist structures that disadvantage ethnic minorities, then wokeness is partially to blame. It enriches the already rich and inadvertently burdens those who struggle the most. It's bad. And things won't improve until people awaken to its harmful consequences. Again, I've got a link to this article in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. <clears throat> I thought it was just a great take on how it <clears throat> it's, it's a forced solution. And for that matter, it's, it's a solution looking for a problem. Now, that's not denying that, yeah, there are people out there and sometimes even institutions that are discriminatory. And I'm not going to go into it today, but uh, I'm going to just throw this out there as uncomfortable as it may make some people to hear. Discrimination is a part of life. It is. And, and, and don't try to tell me, but I never discriminate. You do too. You chose what kind of car you would get. You choose the route that you're going to drive to or from town every day. You choose which stores at which you will shop. You choose what you're going to eat for dinner and what you're not going to eat for dinner. You choose what clothing you prefer. Now, if any of that is so threatening that, uh, well, but other people haven't chosen like I have, I need to force them to do so. How is it that we're able to make all these different choices and not somehow, you know, be, be at each other's throats? Well, that's what authentic tolerance is like. Other people want to dress the way they want to dress. That's fine. Go ahead. Just don't uh, give me a hassle about the way that I choose to dress. But see, that's not the point of wokeness, is it? The point of wokeness is to impose on people one uniform way of seeing things, of thinking of things, of doing things. And it's so obvious it shouldn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Conformity and uniformity, those are the hallmarks of totalitarianism. Not a free society. And I get it. The woke don't care about freedom, or at least the, the people who are pushing wokeism. Freedom is the last thing they want because they don't want people thinking outside the box. But for those people who do care about freedom, don't embrace wokeism. Don't use it as a tool to get other people to do what you think they should be doing, even if you're convinced it's the right thing. It's just as wrong to force somebody to do the right thing as it would be to entice them to do the wrong thing.
All right, I'll end the sermon here. I want to shift gears here, though, and talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with the border crisis. And I I have mixed feelings on this, but uh, you know that uh, Governor Ron DeSantis in, in Florida apparently arranged for uh, a plane that came out of Mexico. It was a number of Venezuelan refugees, about 50 of them, and they were uh, sent to Martha's Vineyard. Yes, the island, <laughs> the, the hangout of many of the, the global elite and many of the political elite here in America. And it's causing a lot of discomfort. And on the one hand, this is where I'm torn. It's like, okay, it's proving a political point. You know, the border crisis doesn't really exist, you know, as long as it's happening in places like Texas or Arizona or New Mexico or someplace along the border that, you know, California, for instance. It's, it's just no, it's no big deal when it's not happening to the political elite. Well, some of the governors of some of these border states who are tired of millions of people illegally coming across the border and just expecting to be absorbed into their states have started busing them, and in this case, actually sending a plane load of them to, uh, how can I put this, Democratic strongholds. So Governor uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Wednesday sent some 50 Venezuelan immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. Now, this affluent Massachusetts summer colony serves as a very popular destination spot for the progressive elite. Jordan Schachtel, in his uh, dossier Substack, says the Obamas own a $12 million waterfront estate on the island. You also see the Clinton family there as frequent visitors, along with Oprah and countless globalist ideologues that claim a willingness to open up their homes to anyone and everyone. Jordan says, as the border states continue to be overrun by the influx of illegal immigrants, the federal government encourage, implicitly encourages the continuation of the crisis. He says, in his opinion, DeSantis was right to shake things up. If the Biden administration doesn't want to address the problem, it's time to bring the problem to the doorsteps of its constituency. And notably, not a soul on the island has gone so far as to open up their homes for Venezuelans. In fact, they went so far as to label the continuing episode a humanitarian crisis. So while states deal with an influx of tens of thousands of economic migrants on a regular basis, Martha's Vineyard is declaring a humanitarian crisis over 50 people. And they can't wait to get rid of them as soon as humanly possible. So I guess that uh, little poster they put out here that says, all are welcome here. Hate has no business here. Yeah, that was nothing more than an empty slogan. How sad. Now, Jordan Schachtel says, look, I don't want to get to get caught up in making the case for the legality of the situation. He says, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the specifics of the situation, but he says, I will point out that Governor DeSantis is very politically and legally astute, and I highly doubt he would authorize violations of the law. Governor DeSantis said the minute even a small fraction of what those border towns deal with every day is brought to their front door, meaning the people there in Martha's Vineyard, they all of a sudden go berserk. And it just shows you their virtue signaling is a fraud. So he says in Florida, we take uh, what's happening at the southern border seriously. We're not a sanctuary state. We'll gladly facilitate the transport of illegal immigrants to sanctuary destinations. Now, it's important to point out here, there's no indication that these individuals were forced to get on a plane. 
It seems like these migrants readily accepted this free ride to Martha's Vineyard through their own free will. And if the Florida government is uh, governor rather is violating the law, he says, Jordan Schachtel says, I've got some bad news for the Biden administration. Because the Biden administration has been trucking people around or busing people around for months, thousands of people all across the country. Now they're getting a taste of their own medicine. So hopefully this all ends with a more secure, sovereign country. The Martha's Vineyard Transport just brings the debate right to the doorstep of the progressive elite and shines a light on the lack of sovereignty in America due to a wide open southern border. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I have some great sponsors who make this program possible on a daily basis. They include MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and HSLAmmo.com. Now, I've provided links to all of them in my show notes at TheBrianHydeShow.com. Just in case you want to reach out to them and tell them, hey, thanks for making it possible for Brian to do what he does on a daily basis. I truly appreciate it. If you find value in what I'm doing, I hope you'll let these sponsors know that their message is reaching your ears. Well, if you're afraid to say what you really think, that should be a really strong clue that all is not well. Got a great article here from Bruce Wilds, making the case that intolerance rules when your choice is to either remain silent or be branded an extremist, which sadly is, I think, the choice that a lot of us are facing right now. Bruce Wilde says, it appears we are rapidly approaching or have reached a place where we must remain silent or be branded an extremist. There's a growing trend of intolerance, and in such an environment, it's little wonder that many people have become less vocal and afraid to speak their mind. The source of this is rooted in a blatant disregard for the opinions of others by both those on the left and the right. Democracy as a form of government is far from perfect. Its greatest weakness is rooted in the ability of a small vocal group to force its opinions on others. And sadly, that's not something that's going to go away rapidly. In a recent speech akin to something you might have witnessed in Germany or perhaps Italy before World War II, President Biden demonized what he called MAGA Republicans. Biden labeled this group of Americans as dangerous extremists, and the message was clear. Anyone that expressed those, the views bannered about by, the former, by former President Trump could be marked as an extremist. Those that do speak out under such a political framework are now part of the gr- a group that law enforcement officials target and might be inclined to place under tighter scrutiny or surveillance. So the growing fear of speaking out isn't just limited to America. We're seeing it in countries that claim to be free across the world. The tech giants and the governments have been throwing fuel on the fire by adding the feeling retaliation is a fair response to those we disagree with speaking their minds. And the tech giants' effort to closely watch, silence, and censor those not marching in line with their desired narrative is a dagger in the heart of free speech. That effort's apparent when we hear about small fringe groups outside mainstream society threatening to block hallways, or highways rather, shut down ports, and occupy state capitals if things fail to go their way. It even extends to harassing elected officials. We're hearing more threats from groups vowing to hound and badger members of Congress or the judicial system at their homes. 
and governments are and and are adding rather to the fear. This started several years ago and it ramped up when the term politically correct moved front and center. See, in the minds of some individuals, if you say anything that they consider incorrect, it justifies a harsh response. And it has now extended to declaring saying something that could hurt the feeling of some individual or group could be considered hate speech. As a result of this growing intolerance, people feel compelled to deny their opinions and remain silent. By the way, just as an aside, a really good example of this can be seen just recently coming out of, I think it was Great Britain. And it's a person being called by a police officer. Yes, the police are calling someone based on something that they said in a social media post. And the reason the police are contacting this individual is to say, we need you to take down your post because someone has expressed offense at what you said. I mean, whatever happened to the pip, pip, stiff up a lip and all that, you know, <laughs> cheerio, carry on, boys. Whatever happened to, to having a backbone? Oh, no, I've encountered a point of view that I don't like. I better get the police on the line. And the police actually respond and tell someone you really need to take down this, uh, this social media post. See, here's the problem. People can be offended over, over really ridiculous stuff. It's a very subjective call. And that's not to say that, you know, what they're feeling isn't real. They may be feeling offense. But I just can't shake this idea that at some level people choose to be offended. Look, I've had people offer offense right to my face. Did I get offended? No. Why? Because I chose not to. Because the person was angling for a reaction, and uh, frankly, it frustrated them what I wouldn't give them one. No, let them keep pushing buttons that aren't connected to anything. I don't care. Just, you know, I'm not going to give up control of myself or my mind to someone else. All right. Anyway, back to the article. The United Nations has weighed in on this subject since hate speech incites violence and undermines social cohesion, cohesion rather, intolerance. So the UN claims such speech is nothing new. However, its scale and impact are nowadays amplified by new technologies of communication. So the impact of hate speech cuts across numerous existing UN areas of focus from human rights protection, preventing atrocity crimes, sustaining peace, promoting gender equality, and supporting children and youth. The problem here is when hate speech is allowed to be defined by the ears of the beholder. So this is where forced agreement starts to creep in, and this is where it gets ugly. A sign of growing intolerance is seen in the mass arrest of violent, I'm sorry, nonviolent protesters by governments. It's important that we remember the cornerstones of democracy are the freedom of assembly and the right to speak freely. And when these are trampled on for any reason, the system is in danger of being cast aside. Now, in this case, Bruce Wilde says, look, this article is about the ability of a vocal minority to make people so uncomfortable they become silent. It's about how we should be appalled that those by those that justify violence, aggression, and force toward those who disagree with them. It's about how you how the threat you may be demon. Uh, it's about the threat that you might be demonized if you say what you feel, and how that tends to breed silence. Watching this unfold, he says, is leaving a sickening feeling in those valuing free speech. In fact, Bruce Wilde says we should be alarmed by a survey taken by the Cato Institute and YouGov 
that found most Americans say the political climate these days prevents them from saying things they believe because others might find them offensive. Now, the survey indicated that 52% of Democrats, 59% of independents, 77% of Republicans now say they have political opinions they are afraid to share. Most people don't enjoy confrontations or being harassed, and as a result, they're simply self-censoring themselves. But with the free exchange of opinions and ideas being the foundation of a free and healthy democracy, the sign public discourse is being destroyed doesn't bode well for our continued freedom. Okay, have to agree. And by the way, this doesn't mean you, you need to become, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to go into Alex Jones mode, right? You don't have to be loud and bombastic and, you know, over the top to try to get people's attention. It's just simply a matter of, you know, when you have the opportunity to speak the truth, can you do it? Or is it uh, too costly? See, I can't answer that question for you. Every one of us gets to answer that on our own. But I can perfectly understand why there are people who say, I don't know if I want to say anything. This could cost me my job. This could, uh, this could otherwise, you know, drive a wedge between family members or coworkers or something like that. I get it. But the world still needs people who are willing to speak the truth. Now, I've become a big believer in, yeah, I, first of all, I believe in speaking the truth. I believe that's what I try to do every single day to the best of my ability. I don't knowingly mislead anybody. But I also understand that the truth is not what a lot of people want to hear. In fact, a lot of people run screaming the other direction, fingers in their ears, chanting, nah, 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 I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear what's going on. So what I've learned to do and what I recommend for anyone who is serious about being a conduit of truth and light and being willing to speak the truth when it's necessary is definitely speak the truth. Do it even if your voice is shaking. But when you do it, I want you to, to pay close attention to what are your motives in doing so. Now, I do this myself. And I'll admit, it's not easy. I'm a, I'm a recovering old internet warrior. What? Someone's wrong on the internet? Well, I'll be here all night trying to get them straight. You know, If you're going to speak the truth, speak the truth with love. Speak it out of concern for helping somebody see what they need to see. Not because you know it's what they need to see, but because really you're concerned for their welfare. There's a difference. In other words, you're not just telling them something because, ha ha, see, I'm right, and rubbing their noses in it. If you're speaking the truth from a position of love, they might, get, uh, they might get puffed up and defensive. That happens. That's normal when people encounter truth that they're just not ready to confront. But if you and I can tell them the truth with love, and if they start to puff up and, you know, go gorilla on you to, to establish dominance, just walk away. You don't have to engage in a fight to, to, you know, contend for the truth. Plant the seed. Make sure they understand that you're speaking to them from a position of caring about them and, and loving them. And then just walk away and let that seed take hold and germinate. Yeah, it takes time. It takes patience. And I know that's hard. But if you want to open hearts and if you want to open minds, that is the formula for success. Beating it into them, that's not going to work. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
All right, welcome back. I'm doing uh, my best on a daily basis to try to help listeners like you make sense of the world around us. And by the way, I get a great deal of help from listeners like you who come across interesting articles or trends or news stories and send them to me. And if you want to reach out to me, you can do so. Just reach out to me through my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. There's a contact form where you can send me a message directly. If you haven't subscribed to my daily show notes, please consider doing so. I put these together with with the articles and with uh, links to the various guests that I talk to. And I do this because I know if you're if you're serious about finding things out for yourself, doing your own homework, really studying it out, these are the things you're going to need. These are the resources for wrong thinkers that, that need to be examined. And you'll find a lot of good reading. You won't agree with everything. I don't either. But again, I'm just trying to get a better, more fleshed out view of what's taking place. And if you just stubbornly stand in one vantage point, nope, 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 this is the only way it could be. Well, there are things you might be missing. So, a couple of things I wanted to share with you in the, the closing segment of this program. Um, first of all, I've got, a, I've got a great interview with Doug Casey on class warfare, eat the rich sentiment, and what happens next. Oh, this is good stuff. This is an interview with International Man. And uh, Doug Casey, when he talks about, uh, you know, that whole eat the rich, nobody's paying their fair share kind of thing. He says, once upon a time, government apologists like to say that the rich had to be taxed in order to help the poor. But he says, that's no longer the case. Nobody in America is starving. Even the poor people have flat screen TVs and air conditioning and refrigerators. The poor live better than medieval royalty. Instead, he says, what's going on is the institutional institutionalization of envy, a terrible vice. Here's the difference between jealousy and and envy. Jealousy says, you have something that I want. I want one too. Give it to me. Envy says, you have something that I want. If I can't have it, I'll destroy it so you can't have it either. So now you can probably see, envy is the moral flaw that underlies all socialist economic theories, socialist feelings, and morality under the socialist lie, I'm sorry, the economic lies, race hatred, class hatred, sex antagonism, and political polarization currently tearing the U.S. and the West apart. Envy and socialism have become secular religions. And the country's been divided into two different and mutually antagonistic worldviews. Now, Doug Casey says it's a question of what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. It's not a question of economics about what's more productive. This is a much more serious division. It amounts to a religious war between the left, who wants to overthrow and transform society, and the right, who want to more or less maintain traditional values but lack any real ideology. So I don't know how it turns out, neither does Doug Casey, but he says this is what's at stake. He's also asked about, well, what do you make of the hiring of the 87,000 new IRS agents in the context of this trend? Doug Casey's answer is those people aren't being recruited just to collect taxes, although that's absolutely one of the things they will do. He says they will amount to a national police force, one that has a different mandate than the FBI, the ATF, the DEA, or any other Praetorian agencies. Because the tax authorities have the right to look at any economic activity everywhere and anywhere. And as a moral issue, they'll try to turn non-payment of tax on the part of producers into a crime against society. 
That's kind of scary, right? He says, I shudder to think of the type of amoral creatures being recruited at fat salaries and with immense powers to investigate the lives of their countrymen. They'll be exactly analogous to Germany's Gestapo or Stasi. And these new IRS agents will have little to do with the poor. The poor are increasingly irrelevant except for their votes. These new IRS agents won't have much to do with the elite either. They will be a direct attack on the middle class because the elite hate the middle class and what they stand for, which is independence, stability, and traditional values. Now, he talks a little bit, too, about Biden's speech. He talks about the loss of the U.S. dollar's purchasing power. And when he's asked, you know, what can the average middle class person do about what's taking place? Here's Doug Casey's answer. He says, what was the average man supposed to do when the Jacobins brought out the guillotines in France in 1793? What should the average middle class person have done in Russia in 1917? What should the average middle class person have done in Germany in 1933? His point is there's not a lot you can do when the actual forces of evil are in control. There's very little you can do except get out of Dodge. Now, Doug Casey says, here in the U.S., we have a large middle class. Now, many are fat, dumb, indoctrinated, or addicted to Prozac and Zoloft. But millions of others are, to coin a phrase, mad as hell, and they're not going to take it anymore. The things we've been talking about could turn into a genuine civil war. So what to do? Well, Doug Casey says, diversify your political jurisdictions. Don't roll over like a whipped dog. Speak up and resist. But the most important thing you can do personally is become as rich as possible while maintaining your ethics. The reason for that is, he says, being rich can help you insulate yourself from evil and stupidity. I don't know why, but that just kind of has a nice ring to it. (laughs) I like how he puts that. Okay, one final note here. We all owe a very serious debt of gratitude to the people who help us cut our challenges down to size with laughter. Got a great article here from Andrea Widberg that points out how mainstream comedy may be failing, but the Babylon Bee reminds us of humor's power. I, too, love the Babylon Bee, probably for the same reasons that she does. Andrea Widberg says, Lately, lots of people have been sending me videos from the Babylon Bee, which is, to date, America's most honest and accurate newspaper. As does every conservative who wishes to remain sane. She says, I regularly check out the Bee's headlines. However, I've been less good about their videos, but it turns out, though, the Bee has some great comic minds writing those videos. They're infinitely better than anything the two Jimmies, Kimmel and Fallon, produce, or that comes from any of the other late-night TV hosts who aren't fit to polish Johnny Carson's tombstone. To lighten our load a bit, she says, I thought I'd share some of the videos with you, and she links to these in the article. First, though, she says... I have to give you a glimpse of what's happened to the long-ago concept of light-hearted political comedy on the left. Aside from being viciously political, she says, these comedians just aren't funny, probably because they're victims of the very leftism that they fomented over the years. Most recently, we learned that Jimmy Kimmel has been accused of utilizing white privilege after refusing to leave the stage during Quinta Brunson's victory speech at the 2022 Emmys. Kimmel's sin was just lying on the stage like a dead person. When I was a young'un, it would have been thought of as very amusing if a TV comedian had continued to clown on the stage during a show as boring as the Emmys. Indeed, it would have been disappointing if the comedian hadn't at least made the effort, even an effort as pathetic as Kimmel's. But those days are long gone. 
and Kimmel's dead comedian joke during a point in the award show honoring comedy turned out to be the perfect metaphor for how the left has killed comedy. And can't you hear each of the, of the women in that picture saying, that's not funny? And frankly, it isn't. If you want funny, you got to go to the B. That's where you get headlines like this. Press Secretary Jean-Pierre blindsided by journalist asking a question. <laughs> or Mike Lindell still holding out against FBI inside my pillow fort. And my personal favorite, Andrea Woodberg, says, King Charles replaces Harry and Meghan with two corgis in line of succession. Now, she says, I thought of the bee as a purely written site, but it turns out to have wonderful videos as well. In fact, she says, several people knowing my California origins sent me this one about Californians adjusting to living in Texas. And there's also the uh, spelling bee, another instant classic, and the bee's most popular video. There's a great one about beating the carpool lanes. And she says, I always like to remember that while Americans took World War II very, very seriously, they also understood that winning a war is, part of winning a war is demeaning as opposed to just demonizing the enemy. And humor does that. So if World War II is anything to go by, the side with the best humor wins. And with the Babylon Bee on our side and the culture war being waged in the United States, Andrea Woodberg says, we can't lose. So, yeah, I, I look at the headlines, too, and I, I try not to look too closely. I really, I limit the amount of mainstream legacy media that I expose myself to on a daily basis. Sadly, I have to do it in part just because uh, that's, that's part of the work that I do and part of the content that I create. But every so often, I got to take a break and find something that will make me laugh. And it used to be that The Onion was, was the great satire website, you know, where they always had funny and insightful headlines. And Unfortunately, The Onion, well, let's just say it kind of went the way of uh, the woke. And so once in a while, they'll get something funny, but it's, it, can, it can be really hit or miss. The Babylon Bee, on the other hand, they speak to truth as only a satirist can speak to truth. And they definitely help me keep things in perspective. For that, I am grateful. This is The Brian Hyde Show.